0: good morning and welcome to episode 223 of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed our Mom of the Month episode on Tuesday. Sorry for all the switcheroos that had to happen, but you know, it's a mom podcast talking to other moms. That's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. But I did really, really love getting to talk with Casey about her motherhood journey and just felt so inspired by her story. So thanks to everyone who nominated We have a great episode for you today. It is with Natalie Morris. Natalie Morris was actually a news anchor who went from working full-time and thriving in her job to becoming a stay-at-home mom. And since that time, she's become really, really passionate about her family's finances. She's educated herself on how going from a two income family to a one income family, how she can be the best manager of her family's money. And now she's helping others to do the same. It's so awesome. This is an episode for everybody, regardless of your financial situation. Whether you're making what you want to be making in your family, whether your budget is a little bit more flexible, or if it's really tight, this episode is for you. And we're gonna talk about how to talk about money with your kids, how to really make the most of your money. And we're talking about her favorite things that she's done on television, which is super fun too. So I can't wait for you to get to know Natalie today. So let's get to it with Natalie Morris. All right. I'm really excited to be chatting with Natalie Morris today. Hi, Natalie. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Where am I speaking to you from today? I am in New Jersey. Oh, nice. Are Are you from the East Coast? No, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. And then how long have you been out there?
1: Ten years, actually, it'll be it was ten
0: years just this year, wow, and, and do you not feel a like the East Coaster? yeah, do you feel like that's home now?
1: I do you know th- this winter we had so many snow days on mm-hmm. the East Coast, and that just was not a part of my childhood, okay, at all. yeah. So, like when my first child started kindergarten and they said, oh, we have a delay open because of the snow, I did not know that was even a thing. Yeah. I didn't know. Right. But now I feel like I can navigate real weather. So, I like the
0: East Coast. Yeah. You're pretty proud of yourself. That's awesome. Well, for people that may not know you, we'll just give a little background on yourself and your professionally and your family. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, People may know my brand, I guess, from uh, my career as a news anchor and a newscaster. So I spent probably the most of my 20s and 30s as a writer and TV news reporter for various outlets like the San Francisco Examiner, uh, the Oakland Tribune, and then I transferred from print news into TV news um, in my late 20s. And so... I moved to New York specifically for that job to work in TV news. Mm-hmm. I was working for CBS and then I had a child and then I worked for NBC. So I've done mostly technology reporting for most of my career, my more formalized career. But then I had a big transition that happened to me, like a lot of us when we become moms. Um, you know, some of it my choice, some of it not. And I found myself without a paycheck and a one-year-old baby, and then I became pregnant with my second. I've since had one more, so we have three total and done. Mm -hmm. And so I had to sort of figure out what I wanted to do with my career with this skill of being a communicator, someone who likes to write and speak and disseminate information, Um, but also going through the stage of my life where I felt like leaving for a full-time job, leaving my little kids behind, didn't feel like that was a good balance for me either. Mm. So as I was going through this transition, I noticed that I was feeling really powerless about not having a paycheck Mm. to contribute to my family any longer. So I decided that I was going to become really, really good at personal finance, at using the money that was inside of our house currently. And I went to the library and I started reading personal finance books and I taught myself a lot about managing money, about how to grow money, about how to manage investments, so my husband said to me, you should start a blog and start to write and speak about what you've been teaching yourself. A lot of people don't know these things, and I was very resistant to that at first because Hmm. I felt like, no, no, I'm a company person. Like My brand should belong to NBC or CBS or whoever it is. I didn't want to be my own entrepreneur. I was afraid of that, but... It turned out to be a really great thing. And so, you know, a couple months later, I did start to write on my own site about what I was learning and what I was implementing in my house. And that's what I do now is I help other people empower themselves when it comes to personal finance, to think of their finances creatively, to understand what they have to work with and how to build and employ the same skills in your personal wealth building that you employ already in your job, such as team building, goal setting, learning new skills, all of that stuff. So I write about that one thing at a time so that it can spark ideas inside of other people to think about wealth creatively and empower them.
0: I love that so much. And because, you know, finances and how much money you're making and what your budget looks like is kind of a personal It is hard to get a barometer of, like, well, you know, is $200 a week for groceries normal for a family of five? Or is it a lot? Is it a little? Is it doable? You know, we just don't have a frame of reference. And so I love people that are talking about it and being way more transparent. And I love when mothers refer to themselves like as the CEO of their family or the CFO of their family because it really is an important role. You can have, you know, any baseline, you can have $50,000 coming in. Or one hundred and fifty thousand dollars coming in, and you can waste yeah. it just the just the same, or you can use it really well. Is that what you found? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely.
1: And what I found more often than not is that in my discussions with other moms on the playground who had had big careers like mine and then found themselves living their days in sweatpants and Uh going to music class with their little toddlers, was that when their paychecks dried up, they put their focus on administrative roles inside of their house instead of decision-making roles inside of their house. Hmm. So a lot of moms would sort of talk about, well, I manage the passwords, I pay the bills, I balance the checkbook. But they weren't actually making wealth-building decisions. They were just sort of secretaries inside Ah. of their house. And I found myself sort of thinking, well, okay, I'll resign myself to this role. But that has nothing to do with wealth-building. That's just you know, managing passwords and getting things done. Right. And also, they take on this role of budgeting. And if you look over Pinterest, that's all you see that's sort of aimed at someone like me mm-hmm. is spend less on detergent and how to make a meal for $5 and all of those kind of things. And I did not want to live that way hmm. because you. I think when it comes to money, you have a choice. You either think about expanding your life with wealth Or you think about how you can shrink your life to fit the money you've got now. And that has to be a deliberate choice. So if you have decided, I'm just going to be super good at budgeting, you're going to continue to shrink your life. And you can only shrink so much until you just can't do it anymore, right? And Otherwise, you're buying things at the grocery store and you're like, well, this has toxins in it, but it's cheap, so I'll buy it. That's no way to live. Right so I really want people to think deliberately about the choices that they make with their money.
0: I love that, Natalie. That's me. I th- we just started a new budget and my husband's in the military. We have a very fixed income that is not sizable. But when I have this scarcity mindset, like I am I'm seeing, you know, my my weekly grocery budget go down 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 instead of thinking with abundance and thinking, "Well, what can I do with that money? How can I make it go farther?" It's right. just that mindset shift. The money's not changing. The dollar amount's not changing, but the mindset is very different.
1: Yes, yeah. And I think one of the first steps in this is recognizing the language that you use to yourself yes. every time you make a purchase. Okay. So, for instance, I recently went to buy an umbrella stroller for my youngest. She's one. Uh-huh. And I had a lot of guilt about it because I felt like I didn't choose wisely for the first baby and if I had chosen better, then I wouldn't need this one and she's the last and I won't get good use of it and all of these types of things, right? Now, we are financially free and I can explain to you what that means later, but I can afford any stroller I want, but I noticed all of the limiting voices in my head that told me, this is a luxury purchase, you don't deserve it, you shouldn't spend this money. When I know for a fact, if I bought the cheaper one with these specific features that I wanted, and I sort of said, well, we don't need that feature, then I would go back and buy it again. And so, do I waste my money and buy the cheap one because I have these limiting voices in my head? Or do I buy the one I really want right? And put those aside, like the logical voice inside of me, I'm not putting it on a credit card, I can pay for it. The logical voices are completely different mm. than the limiting voices. And we tell ourselves so much about our worth. Every time we make a purchase, just watch these ladies in line at Starbucks. Getting what they really want, but, right. like, with a little twinge of guilt, right? Right. A expensive. Starbucks is expensive. Am I worth it? Like, I feel like there's two kinds of ladies. The kind that are like, oh, yeah, I'm worth it, and I'm walking out with my latte high in the air. Mm-hmm. And then there's the kind of like, well, I just am splurging today, so right. I'm going to do it with the guilt,
0: right? Yeah. And does it taste different, right? When you have the guilt, it's like you can't enjoy it quite as much when there's that guilt. I've got to think that it does. I think so. I think it does. I think it does too. So we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the practicals in terms of finances. But I want to go back to before you had kids and you were working full-time, what did you envision for motherhood? Did you want to have a family? Did you picture yourself working full-time while your kids were young? What did you picture? And then how did it kind of transpire in reality? I'm not sure, actually,
1: because it's been so long now. Like, what I – I know – for a fact, it is not what I thought it would be. Yeah. <laughs> I think every mother feels that way. Sure. Um, I did think that I would continue this sort of rise through the network into some kind of anchor job and that I would have a kid or two on the side. I don't think I really understood what it meant to have children or, or the sacrifices that it would entail um, or how I would feel about it. Mm. So I did want kids but I had no actual plan to have kids and actually my first baby was a surprise so um you know I feel like he chose me more than I chose mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful for that because more often in life you know I've been sort of nudged in the areas that I need to go um like I said when my husband was like oh write your own blog I I feel like my natural instinct sometimes is resistance and Yeah. yeah, Have you ever heard the saying, the first thought is spirit and the
0: second thought is ego? Ah, wow. And which one do we usually stick with? Right. The well, it's is usually, usually louder. It's the ego mind, yeah, usually the louder like, one. Oh,
1: you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. That's not right for you. You know, I think probably I felt like that about every major change in my life. Yeah, is like there's this sort of spirit inspiration. You can own your brand. You can disseminate this information. You can be a mother, right? Mm-hmm. And then ego mind comes in. It's like you're not safe. You can't do that. Don't do it. It's too hard. Yeah. So I think it, when I really think back of every sort of major life shift in my, in my life or every sort of career move, there's always been spirit and then
0: ego, like, no. (laughs) Right. So once you decided, okay, I'm going to go from being a news anchor to being a stay at home mom. So the finances were cut, but then you just probably had an identity shift. What was that like going from having acknowledgement, talking with adults to being with kids all day? Was that, how was that transition?
1: It was hard. It definitely was hard on me. And I had to learn to evaluate myself differently. I didn't realize how much of myself was sort of boosted by this, mm-hmm. what I'm going to call kind of a fancy job, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I did sort of feel like, well, what makes me special now? Like I was on TV and now I'm not, mm-hmm. and am I still special? And, you know, can my mom still brag about me if I'm not on the Today Show? Um, and so there was that For sure. I know it sounds shallow to admit it, but I think it's more shallow not to. Oh, yeah. And am I just someone who puts dinner on the table and raises this kid? And I don't mean to minimize. I'm a good mom. I put a lot of myself into it. But there still was this part of me that was not being creatively expressed Um, I recently heard Brene Brown talk about how when you have unexpressed creativity, it's not benign. It's like a cancer inside of you when you have something of yourself to share that you can't, right? right? Right. And I just couldn't find the way to express it. So I was sad and I had to figure out you know, how to make myself valuable. And the money part of it was just like an energy representation of what I was lacking because Um, it wasn't really about the money. My husband was making good money. I could live a life on his salary fine, but I had to figure out how to empower myself in that way that I felt unempowered. So What I did was just, my dad was a small small business owner my whole life, and he had taught me how to run finances, personal finances like his business. So I said, okay, I'm going to give this a try. So I sat down and I made a balance sheet, which is just a list of all of your assets and a list of your liabilities, like what you owe, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Your mortgage payment, your car payment, your student loan, and you add them up. So you add up your assets. What do you own? You have a car, you have a house you have some clothes, you have some electronics, list those values, add them up. You own this much in assets. You owe this much in liabilities. You subtract the two, you get a net worth. Now, the net worth is not that important. But what is important is what what is your circumstances. And so what I decided to do once I had it all written out was take one thing on the list and teach myself how to be better with it. Just ah. one thing. It doesn't matter. That's what I want people to do is choose one thing on your balance sheet and decide that I'm gonna do better with it and so maybe you have a stock account that you can learn to navigate better maybe you have a liability like a mortgage payment that's too expensive you can learn to do better with that maybe you have some student loans that you can learn to take something from your asset column and pay them off and so there are two mindset 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 shifts here one is that You can empower yourself with anything that you've got right now, and teaching yourself that thing will lead to the next thing, and lead to the next thing, and lead to the next thing. But two is to see where your money is actually going. So you talked about how you're on a fixed income, Mm -hmm. right? You know that you have this much money coming in per month. That's it for now. Right, and so, probably most of that money is spoken for by your liabilities. True. All the things that are in your liability column. Uh-huh. So, a car payment, a house payment, maybe some student loans and some credit card loans. That's sort of the big four, what most people have in their liabilities column. Mm-hmm. And probably most of your income is all going into the liabilities column, right? Right. And so, there's very little left to add to your asset column. And this is how wealthy people shift their thinking: is that wealthy people buy assets, and poor people buy liabilities. Now, I'm not making any assumptions about your finances. Sure. I'm talking you is like most people. Yep. Right. Yep. But most people are spending all of their hard-earned working dollars to pay for liabilities, and then that's only—that's the only way you'll—you'll you'll only ever tread money, tread water that way. Right. You can't build wealth. So what I want people to do is look at their, their income and say, how can I buy assets that perform for me and how can I limit my liability so that I'm not a slave to my liability? So these, I've just given you several sort of big concepts yeah. that took me like seven years to teach myself. And I'm still teaching myself new tricks all the time. So I don't want you to get caught up in the weeds if you're someone who's just listening to this. What I want you to do is make that balance sheet, choose one thing, and then try and see how you can free yourself from living only by liabilities.
0: Hey guys, I hope you're getting so much out of my conversation with Natalie. I know that I am learning so much and there's more to come. But I wanted to thank one of our show sponsors and that is Care Up. Care of is a monthly subscription that's a vitamin service made from effective quality ingredients personally tailored to your exact needs. So let me tell you exactly how this works because I don't know about you, but I'm not super well-versed in the world of vitamins. I don't know what I need. All I know is I'm tired in the afternoons, I'm stressed sometimes, but there's gotta be something for this, right? So if you go to takecareof.com, the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna take a quiz. It is so quick and they ask you about your diet, your health goals, lifestyle choices, easy questions. From there, they will come up with a custom list, especially for you based on your answers of the vitamins that would really benefit you. So they listed out five for me, I ordered it, and this is the best part. Guys, the next week I got a box in the mail that is so cute and it's personalized with my name on it and it comes with a 30-day supply of individual pill packs so that I know exactly the vitamins I need to take each day and on each pill pack this is the cutest part it says hi Jessica how cute is that so I have a 30 day supply shipped right to my door which is totally amazing it makes it great and easy for travel and I have no more worry about replacing multiple bottles when I run out of something you can modify your subscription at any time and there are vegan and vegetarian supplement options to match your dietary needs. So, this is what I would recommend for you. For 25% off your first month of personalized Care-of vitamins, visit takecareof.com and enter promo code EMP. That's takecareof.com and enter promo code EMP. Thank you so much, Care-of, for sponsoring this podcast. I'm loving my vitamins, and I hope you guys can all take advantage of this amazing offer. can okay, let's get back to it with Natalie. Okay, where do I start if I want to grow my money? Am I starting with the stocks? Where do I start?
1: I don't anymore really invest in stocks. And that is where I started. I picked up a book called Exchange Traded Funds for Dummies. I'm okay. not going to recommend you write it down <laughs> or even read it. But it's just like I literally got a for dummies book. Most of our performing assets are by way of rental real estate. We, we taught ourselves how to become real estate investors. And that's a big part of our brand is that we teach other people to learn to become real estate investors, even if you start with no money. Wow. And we teach them how to do it as a family. But Not everybody has a stomach for that. If you think, if you understand that real estate is the number one way to build wealth in this country, which really it is. I mean, look at our president Mm -hmm. who we elected, right? Right. right. So clearly there's a value in this country based on that, no matter what you think of him. Uh Uh-huh. But if you're, if you don't like that, I can also teach you to evaluate your assets in terms of how they perform for you, um, even if you don't want to invest in real estate. So that's a, a big part of our brand as well and what we teach people.
0: Okay, so just so people who are wanting – okay, well, where where can they find you? Go ahead and tell them where they can find you and find out more if any of this appeals to them.
1: Okay, if you want to learn to become a real estate investor and we teach you from, like I said, from no money, from soup to nuts, it's morrisinvest.com and that's the company I run with my with my husband. Okay. Um, but – The personal finance piece where I only write about personal finances, and I do, again, there's a heavy emphasis on buying performing assets, but it doesn't have to be real estate, is nataliemorris.com, and it's N-A-T-A-L-I-M-O-R-R-I-S.com. Okay,
0: perfect. Yeah, because everyone's going to enter at a different entry point, right? And so some people have some money and some wiggle room to do something with, and some are scrambling because there's just not enough money and they need to produce more. So this yeah. gives a lot of a lot of options, which I think is great. So aside from people pouring more into the liability side of things, is there another pitfall that you see people constantly making that could just be something that could open our eyes today to what we might be doing wrong? Yeah, there's
1: a few things that come to mind. You know, most of the things that you see on banking commercials are things that will benefit the banks. So, you know, anytime you see a commercial about a banking product, the ones that really like hit me are the ones where they have someone draw like a ribbon across a field to see how long they can live until they must die because their money's run out. Right. Those kind of things I find so morbid and the fact that they have these people kind of laughing about it in a park um, really bugs me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what they're trying to tell you is that you can save your way to wealth. And what I want you to know is that the numbers do not support that. You cannot save your way to wealth. You can buy cash flow, but you cannot save a nest egg. So one thing that my dad said to me when he divorced my mom was, you know, as we split up our assets, she got all the eggs and I got all the geese. Um, Of course, it didn't make me feel good to think that he did that to my mom. Mm -hmm. But I understood what what he was saying was that his values were that he did not want the cash. He wanted the things that produce cash. Mm. So the banking commercials would have us think that we can save a nest egg and then hopefully die before we eat all the eggs. And that's not the way to wealth. Wealthy people buy geese right? Something that produces eggs on a regular basis. Now your stock accounts will produce eggs on a regular basis, but teeny, teeny, tiny ones. It's very, very hard to live on your dividends of a stock account. But for us, what we end up doing is buying into rental real estate and living on the income. And then we actually do pay our mortgage with that. We do feed our kids with that money. We do pay our bills with that money. So we have bought geese by way of rental real estate. Now, if again, if you don't like that, you can buy a different type of performing asset. You can buy a business, right? You can buy, um, I don't know, any. there are different ways to to Mm -hmm. get to a performing asset. But if the assets in your asset column don't perform, meaning you can't eat them right now, you're not on your way to wealth. Uh. So you have to break this mindset that your 401k will be enough to live on. It won't. Your four hundred one K most the average withdrawal of the four hundred one K at full maturity is ninety thousand dollars and then it's taxed. Wow. So can you think of being sixty years old, taking out ninety thousand dollars, paying forty percent in tax, maybe thirty five, right? Yeah and then you've got what, fifty thousand dollars left, and that's it. Wow. That's not gonna get you to retirement. You cannot save your way to wealth. Mm. You have to change your mindset into performing assets. Your nest goose, not your nest egg.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm more of the mentality or historically have been of the mentality, I save money to save money. Right? (laughs) Instead of I save money to spend the money wisely and to make more money and everything. And my husband, we're saving for our first house right now. And it's so exciting. But I just feel like, gosh, but there's these other things. Like we're living so frugally and... But, but we're saving so much towards this thing that will that is the goose, right? And so I just got to keep believing that.
1: <laughs> right, but your primary home is not a goose
0: unless oh. you
1: actually rent it out.
0: Yeah, okay, because so it's not making more money. Your primary home money.
1: is not a performing asset. If you, if you oh. talk to just someone who runs books, yeah. right? like a, a CPA, uh-huh. they'll tell you that the purpose of an asset is to produce cash flow.
0: Oh. Right? Oh shoot.
1: <laughs> and so but I don't want you to be afraid of this or not do it. Let me right. let me change your mindset about it sure. just a little bit, okay? okay. So maybe you're going to run your business out of your house or you'll rent it out rent out a room on Airbnb or something like that and then it does perform. So your home as an asset does not produce cash flow. So it is not really an asset, right? Mm-hmm. But that does not mean that you cannot lower your liability towards being in that house. So let's say you have a $200,000 mortgage on a house and you have to go to work every single day to make sure that you can pay your mortgage, right? Mm -hmm. But you've got a 401k and maybe you've got a a home equity line of credit or you have all sorts of other assets that you hadn't thought about that you maybe can use to lower your liability in the house Mm -hmm. and free up some cash. So, an accountant would tell you if you have an asset that doesn't produce cash flow, either sell the asset or pay off the liability. So what I'm saying for people who are like, yeah, but I'm stuck in a mortgage. I have to, you know, pay the mortgage. I want to live here. I love this place is to figure out how to accelerate your payoff of the ah. liability with assets you have now. Now we, my husband and I, we actually have a book about that called how to pay off your mortgage in five years, because mm. we want people to get rid of that big monkey on their back for an asset that doesn't perform but still live in the home that they want to live in that they love and and also when you're thinking about getting that house make sure that it doesn't just take up all of your monthly income mm-hmm. so that you can't buy
0: geese right, right? okay okay i feel better <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. No, that does. That makes a lot of sense.
1: You know, I don't want people to think, well, I've committed to this mortgage, so this is what I have to do for 30 years. You Mm -hmm, don't.
0: mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That is really good. So I think making those lists will be really helpful because sometimes we're not even aware of what we have at our fingertips, what's coming in, what's going out, and just having that visually can just be such a great start, right? Yeah. Mm Yeah. Yeah.
1: But yeah. and a lot of times you don't know how to leverage the assets you've got now yeah, yeah, yeah. in order to make better decisions. Because the banks don't want you to do that. Mm. You know, they want you to think if I automate my savings and I have direct deposit to my four oh one K and you know, this sort of little bit of hundred dollars a month of savings goes into this savings account. Well, that money is not performing at all, right? Mm, so mm-hmm. In fact, I went shopping recently for a better savings account, and it was really hard to find one that even performed over 1%. 1% is not a goose, right? That's just a pile of eggs. So you have to find places to put your money that is a
0: goose. Right. Okay. And that looks different or can look different for everybody, right? You have to see what your situation is.
1: Yes, it can. Maybe you have a friend who needs some capital to start a bakery, and you want to, you know, sort of partner up in an LLC with that, like there are totally so many ways to buy performing assets. But I'm sorry to tell you that your bank account and your 401k is not really one of them. And this upsets people, because there have been so much marketing around the 401k. And I mean, I get some pretty nasty notes when I attack the 401k because people are like, no, I've already sort of bought into this. And if you, once you start to, like my journey, I read this for dummies book, it taught me to evaluate my stock accounts. So you realize once you start to learn to evaluate your assets, you will not be very impressed with the four hundred one k. I've already laid some pretty crappy numbers on you about four hundred one k. Okay, uh, but you know what people think about it, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's the that's the best. This is the, right. and you have to change your mindset about that. And th- so, what we did when we finally challenged our mindset about the four hundred one k. And I was like, you're right. This is not actually that great, and it's based on the whims of the presidency, mm-hmm. right? Like. Okay, the stock market goes up, the stock market goes down, it's not anything I can affect. I just have to sort of hold on and hope that recovers. Then that money is losing and not gaining. And so what we ended up doing, and this is sort of a, you know, advanced finance trick that I taught myself along the way. I have no training in this. I just know how to now talk money is that we took a loan from our 401k, not a withdrawal, but a loan. And we took that money and we bought real estate and we paid off debts, and we paid down in our principal mortgage. Now, if you think about it, what I did, right? If, if I had a credit card loan at 15%, but I can take a loan out of my 401k and pay myself back 4%, 5
0: 6%. Oh. Now, not
1: only am I not paying the credit card 12%, but I'm the lender now. Wow. I'm paying back my 401k with a 4% interest that goes into my own asset, Right, you can't tell me that you should leave that money there and pay the credit card bill, or the credit, or the car right. company, or the mortgage five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent. Wow,
0: that's, that's a crazy. huge difference. That's a huge difference. So not only yes. are you not shelling out more money you are bringing in more money. That's, it's like the exact opposite that you would ever dream of, that's amazing. And so
1: why, why do people write me hateful things on Twitter, say, no, you
0: have to leave it in the 401k. I'm like, show me how those numbers work, Mm. please. Wow, wow. And so as passionate as you are, and if you run a business with your husband, I'm sure he is as well, what are you teaching your kids? At what age do you start getting them involved in these financial conversations, and what do finances look like for them?
1: So I have a lot of theories about how I talk to my kids about money, um, but they're still pretty little. They're one, five, and seven. Uh-huh. So I can feel very passionate about them, and then I don't know how it's going to work out. I'm right. just like crossing my fingers. My husband and I just started to watch that show, Trust.
0: On oh, FX. I heard that. Okay. You know what it is? No,
1: it's about the Gettys
0: oh. and how,
1: like, basically their kids were all kinds of messed up, you know, based on their wealth, and so then I got scared. But I'm going to pretend
0: <laughs> That's that I'm not you. convicted about my ways because right. I
1: still very much believe uh, that you have to empower your kids and give them a financial education at whatever level they are at and talk to them about money on a regular basis. My lawyers, when I was going shopping for an estate lawyer, I found this – this firm in Utah and I was talking to them about my values and how I give my kids allowance and all of that stuff. And they said, Oh, you know, you should read our book. And they actually have a Ted talk out as well. Um, it's called entrusted about how to pass down, not just wealth, but your family values and knowledge and experience as part of your wealth, not just money. Hmm. And I highly recommend this book because it talks about how whether or not you have money, it almost doesn't matter what you want to pass down to your kids is the spark and not the flame, right? Teach them how you made money. What are the values in your house that got you there? What were the challenges, the things that you learned? And then how that fanned into a flame, which is the money. Now I have very specific sort of ways that we're passing down our money. um, And I can talk to you about our estate planning if you want me to. But it is something that we talk about a lot and they make the point as estate lawyers that a lot of wealthy people Either, or even people of middle class have a lot of guilt about money, so they don't talk to their kids about it. Mm. And, you know, kids, their job is to figure out the world. They are naturally curious. So if we don't tell them about our financial situation, if we don't prepare them, if we don't bring them into the conversation, then we're there's a whole area of parenting we just don't prepare them for. And our generation, we didn't really get that. I was lucky because my dad was an entrepreneur and was very passionate about it. Mm. So he gave me a really strong foundation. But as I became an adult, I realized that was so rare that not everybody gets that. And we were financial education is really uneven the way it's taught in schools, if at all.
0: That's so interesting. And, and I feel like I have similar aged kids as you, as you, but the other day, my two-and-a-half-year-old, somebody said, oh, you like Mickey Mouse? Are you going to go to Disneyland? He says, Disneyland costs a lot of money. <laughs> and he's two-and-a-half. And so I do fear that my own focus surrounding the budget and kind of that scarcity is its showing, you know, when we're at the store, like, no, we can't. That, that costs, costs a lot. And I just kind of flippantly say these things instead of, Okay, that's $35 Lego set. How much do you have right now? How much more do you need to save? Let's make a plan. Having those goals be attainable to them instead of it's just too much money, squash it. But that's how I view things sometimes. And so it just comes out without me even being intentional about it. And I'm intentional about a lot of things. This is an area I need to be more intentional about. And I know it. Yeah, but think about our conversation
1: about Starbucks and my stroller a little while ago. You know, like those things are just, they're circulating in your head Mm -hmm. and then they just come out because that's what you're thinking. Now, I kind of was like that too. And then I read a book called The Opposite of Spoiled by Ron Lieber, um, who was the New York Times financial columnist. And he talks about how um, he has a very specific way to dole out allowance, which we employed in our house. And so I tell them, you know, mommy and daddy will take care of your needs, but you have to take care of your wants. Like if you just want this Lego, right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then you save your allowance and you buy it. Mm-hmm. Now, birthdays and Christmas and now Easter,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: those kind of things, we do give them things. Um, I try really, really hard to get my parents and my in-laws not to give them junk. Like I, I'm always telling them, please don't get them a bunch of stuff for their parties or their birthdays, get them experiences. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't always listen to me. You yeah. Know, sort of grandma's <laughs> prerogative to spoil them. But right. I really want them to sort of not have this value around just the stuff. Right. But I do have to let them waste their allowance when it comes time. Like there are times when they'll say, can today be a spend day? So I'll let them take their spend money to the store and see what they've got. And, you know, sometimes they buy something that I'm like, I know you're not going to play with that. Right. And. It's a great lesson, though, to get ah. something that you really didn't value just because you wanted the thing. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen them go back the next time with that in their head, like, yeah, this was a waste of my money. I want to actually save it. So I'm I'm pretty deliberate. I have a post on my blog about how I give allowance, and I don't actually pay them for chores. It's a completely separate lesson. Um, something else people like to hate on me. Yeah. About. No, but, I love it. Um, yeah, I am very deliberate about that. I don't think allowance should be tied to this, you know, chores because they have to do chores anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: chores are not something they, I don't get paid.
0: I'm not getting chores. paid for chores. Exactly. Right.
1: That's what I was thinking. Yeah. But then some people think, well, you're paying them for nothing. And I'm not, I pay them as a separate lesson. Right. Right. It's just, this is your lesson about money. Chores have to be done because if they have the option, well, I just don't want the money, and then right. I'll just not do the chore.
0: They'll take it, right?
1: And they can't. That's mm-hmm. not a choice,
0: right? Yeah, no, that is such that is such a great point. And I think even though our kids are young, starting from a young age, you can't underestimate how much they're picking up on. And when they're given that power, like they'll start from a younger age making wiser choices or not wise choices and learning from them, and that's just as valuable.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I've seen them, like, want something in the store or say, oh, I can't afford this, but I really want this thing, and then they'll walk away empty-handed, and that feels like a huge parenting will,
0: right, When right.
1: because – They've had the willpower to delay gratification, and I'm just like, okay, good. And then in my head, I'm totally high-fiving myself, like, yeah, <laughs> I didn't buy the crappy thing. Right. You know, and I'll, I'll tell them. So I don't pay them for chores, but I will pay them for extra jobs. Like they'll say oh, – okay can I do a job to earn the extra $5 for this thing? And then I'll come up with something, and how I distinguish that in my house is that chores are for everybody. Like you have to take out the trash, you have to separate your laundry, like those kind of things. But if you do something specifically for me, that's my responsibility otherwise, like shredding papers in my office, um, or washing my car, which, Actually, it's their mess. They should really wash the car. Yeah, right. But but nevertheless, like something that I wanted done for me, then I will pay them. And that's kind of hard to find sometimes because I don't want them to think that like mowing the lawn is not otherwise their responsibility. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so, like I just I have a stack of papers right next to me that I've been saving for them to shred for the next time that they want a job.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Whenever I find a sock that doesn't have a match right away, I, th- I have a mystery sock <laughs> basket where there's only one, single one. And that's a waste of my time, but it's fine for them. So I'm like, okay, like you want something to do or, you know, you want to earn 25 cents? Like go, go match up those socks in the basket. And that's, that's an brilliant. easy thing, even from a very yeah. young age. And it's teaching them matching skills and hey, you know, I feel again, parenting win, high five, you know. I'm so doing that. So kind of stockpile those things like shredding the paper or uh, matching up the socks that, you know, they can't really mess up. (laughs) Yeah, putting stamps on bills or
1: whatever. Exactly,
0: exactly. Well, this is so valuable and you created such great resources that we could talk about all day. But if people go to your website, nataliemorris.com or for that investment one, it's morrisinvest.com, right?
1: Yeah, and we have a podcast, so if you want to just sort of like feel out how you feel about investing in real estate, what that entails, Um, again, some of these financial tricks, I'm always learning new things. Okay, so you know, some of it you might, if you hop in on an episode and you're like, "What the heck is this?" These are things that have taught we've taught ourselves over the course of seven or eight years now Mm -hmm. of investing together. So, you know, if that doesn't work for you, you, there are plenty of ways to find a different episode that does. And we try and teach people that we, we have like the podcast, we have the blog, we have, you know, so many free resources. Um, and then the book as well is there's a, 2018 version coming out. I can't tell you when yet about, um, how to pay down your home, your, your mortgage. Right. Um, so there are plenty of ways that you can start somewhere, but I just want to tell anyone who might be listening is that you can only start with what you've got. So just make your list and tell yourself, I can do better with one
0: thing. Okay. Yes. And, Sometimes people just feel so overwhelmed by this that they don't make any progress and they don't start. And that is probably the worst thing is just to stay stay stuck. Just start with one thing like you said.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and remind yourself that personal finance is confusing for a reason. The banks really, really benefit on the fact that it's too hard for most people. Mm. And so you can do better. Um, you just want to think basically whatever they tell you think the opposite <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and then tell yourself, I can do this, you okay. can, you know
0: okay, if you're telling me it's it can be confusing for for many people, including you at some points, that makes me feel better,
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great, and also, don't be scared to ask dumb questions, okay, you know, I mean, I think at first, I was very timid, especially because I'm like this little housewife, like, oh, can right. you please explain this life insurance thing to me?' And then as I began to read and study, and now I, I can say to someone, explain this to me like I'm four years old, and I don't feel, right, you know ashamed of saying that anymore because I know that I've got the chops to understand it. And even if I don't, it's my money and I want to learn this skill. Probably you're selling this product. So it's your responsibility to teach it to me. And then my responsibility to evaluate if it works for me. So never be afraid to ask dumb questions.
0: Okay. That is so, so good. Okay. So as somebody that has spent some time on TV and done a lot of exciting things, I'm really curious to know what has been your favorite thing to do career-wise? and the thing that you just love talking about the most?
1: Um, I think I am doing it now. I have a lot of fancier stories yeah. from, you know, like celebrities that I met or people I was in the makeup chair with. or um, I was just thinking about it the other day, what, about um, meeting, like, Michael Buble and oh, Lionel yeah. Richie and Martha Stewart because I worked for the Today Show, so those people were regulars. Regulars, yeah, cool. Yeah, um, yeah I think – I would love to say, say that, you know, and my husband, he also was a news anchor of a network show. So a lot of it was fancy, you know, um, and I'm glad that I had it. It's funny though. Cause I, I watch clips of myself before I became a mom and when I was working full time and I'm like, Oh, she did know what she was doing. I kind <laughs> of think, do you ever feel like that about your old self? Yes. Like, Oh, she was capable. Right. Sometimes I feel like, Oh, I must've been a hot mess. Right. And then I watch videos, and I'm like, no, I knew what I was doing, actually. I did a pretty good job. I am su- I surprised myself.
0: Yeah, it's good to be reminded of that. Absolutely. But I love that you can say the fanciness is not what you love the most and what brings the most fulfillment. What you're doing now is so, so meaningful, and it's something that you can do in a season of life that is just different than what it was 10 years ago for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean,
1: I, you know, there's – I'm sure everyone had those people that in high school that they wanted to be impressed with them. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like when Facebook started to get really popular and people from my past would, you know, come in and Facebook request me, it it looked good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, she's on TV, you know, she works for a network. Um, but you can't create a career around that, you know? Right. And that's, I think that's fine to have had for then. Um, but I'm really happy with what I've got now, even if it's not quite as impressive for like a, you know,
0: that's awesome. A friend of me
1: from my
0: past. <laughs> <laughs> that is so great. Well, Natalie, this has been such a pleasure. I always ask my guests just one final question, and it's this: What would you tell your pre motherhood self? That's such a great question. I
1: think I would tell my pre motherhood self that um, you're going to have to manage the change. Like manage the change with more confidence, hmm. because because I wasn't prepared to be a different person. I think that's what what upset me the most is wow. not recognizing myself. And if I had been prepared for that, maybe it wouldn't have been quite as shocking, you know. I get that. And also, you're not going to be able to get your manicures at the same <laughs> regularity. <laughs>
0: Darn it. Yeah. (laughs) Natalie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and for taking the time to share about your motherhood journey. I've learned so much. I can't wait to dive into all these resources and just to start with one thing. I love that.
1: Good. Yeah. Let me know if you have any questions to you and
0: anybody else who might have questions. Thank you so, so much. Have a great, great day. You too. Okay. That might have been a lot of food for thought for you. You might be a little overwhelmed, but I love her tip of starting with one thing. For us... It was getting really real about our budget and in terms of our savings goals and things like that, what can we actually be spending with our discretionary money? And the first month, I got to tell you, it was painful. I just was locked into that scarcity mentality and I'm still fighting that a little bit, but now I'm more proud when I come in a little bit under budget or right at budget each week. And one of the tips that I got from Jordan Page of Fun Cheaper Free is that don't do a monthly budget, do a weekly budget. You know, you can start with that monthly budget, but then divide it up by week and knowing how much you're able to spend week to week is so much more manageable than having a huge lump sum for a month. Love that tip. It's helping me so, so much, and maybe it would work for you. So start with that budget. Start by listing out your assets and your liabilities, like Natalie said. If you want more information about growing your wealth, everything will be linked over at extraordinarymomspodcast.com. Natalie is such a great resource and just loves helping other people, as you can tell. So definitely check out her over on the website. If you don't already follow me, you can do that at JessicaDolquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Coming up on Tuesday, we have an incredible, incredible episode for you. It is with Brittany Fisher. Brittany is a T12 paraplegic who is injured while doing an outdoor activity in 2012. She's gonna talk about the accident. She's gonna talk about what life is like from going from being on the cross country team in college to being in a wheelchair. And it is a story of triumph as she gets married, graduates college, and now she is a mom. And she's gonna talk about the ins and outs and what her life looks like on a day-to-day basis. Mothering from a wheelchair, I loved getting to talk to Brittany, and you are going to love getting to hear her story as well, and I can't wait to bring that to you. So thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.